We've spent the last uh, three weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, we've talked about marriage and singleness and some pretty heavy uh, subjects matter. It's been, it's been uh, you know, we've been there three weeks, and here this morning as we move into chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see the Apostle Paul address another question that was written to him by the believers there in Corinth. Remember, Corinthians is a book that Paul wrote. It's a letter that he wrote to them answering questions that they had asked them. And the question they had at this time, at this case, the one he's going to address this morning, is this. They wanted to know, is it okay to eat meat that was offered to idols? Some Christians were doing it without a problem, and others were being stumbled by the issue. So they said, Paul, can you tell us, is it okay to eat meat that was offered to idols? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, after the last three weeks, phew, whew, I finally got something I don't have to worry about. I don't have a problem eating meat offered to idols, right? It doesn't happen in our culture. We don't have to worry about whether this meat, this steak, or this chicken, or whatever we're going to go buy at Martin's later today, was offered to an idol beforehand. Or maybe you could be thinking, wait a minute, Rob, I think you should just skip over this chapter. Since it doesn't occur in our culture, since you know, eating meat offered to idols is not a problem, there's, there's nobody around town you know, sacrificing meat to false gods that we're aware of, I think we've got this covered, why don't we just move on? I would say be careful, because I think that when we read this chapter, when we study this chapter, we're going to find out it's not just about idols, altars, and animals. Instead, what we're going to find out is this chapter, it's about Christian liberty. It's about the freedom that we have in Christ. It's when we exercise that Christian liberty at the cost of someone else. You see, one group of people, they were eating the meat that was offered to idols. didn't bother them a bit. The other group of people, they were looking at them going, I can't believe you're eating that stuff. How terrible. That's, that's terrible. That's, that, that's, how could you consider such a thing? Well, as we study the scriptures, we find that some things are black and white. They're very clearly spelled out. When it comes to certain sins, sexual immorality is sinful. Pride is sinful. Stealing is wrong. Shedding innocent blood, violence, those things are wrong. They're black and white, and we don't dare deviate from those scriptures or seek to make them culturally relevant in any way. We take them as they're written, and we live on them. We stand by them. We repent if we're guilty of them. But other things in our Christian walk, other things we come across, other decisions we make for our families, well, they become influenced by our culture a little bit. They're influenced by the way that you were raised, the things that you were brought up in. It may be influenced by the place where you live, whether it be the city, the town, the country. Be influenced by the people that you hang around with, or even the level of spiritual maturity that you've obtained, or how long you've been walking with the Lord. All of these things can make a difference in some decisions. So there's some things we're not moved on, but there's other things that, well, we have to come to a decision on. Let me give you an example. Is it okay for a Christian to smoke cigarettes? Is it okay for a Christian to have an occasional glass of beer or wine? We're divided on these things. Is it okay for a Christian to be addicted to caffeine? Got to have my coffee in the morning. What about gambling? Should a Christian listen to secular music? Watch movies? Watch secular TV? When we go to the beach... Should we wear a one-piece bathing suit or a two-piece bathing suit? Guys, one piece. Long one piece. I'm telling you, the Lord says, long one piece. Long shorts, not short shorts. Should Christians let their children dress up on Halloween and go trick-or-treating? Is it okay to have an Easter egg hunt 
or an Easter basket, knowing there's pagan roots within the Easter tradition? Should a Christian have a Christmas tree? Should the pastor wear a suit and a tie? I don't think so. (laughs) Neither do you or you wouldn't be here. Is it okay to wear a hat in church? Should a Christian dress up? Should they dress a certain way to come to church on Sunday? Do you see that the answer to these questions depends on your maturity in Christ? It depends on your culture, how you were brought up, where you live. It also depends on your personal convictions. Where do you stand personally? One person may believe they're free to come to church in shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops, while the other person says, I think we should dress up to honor the Lord. One person's expressing their Christian liberty by dressing casual at church, and the other is looking upon him, shaking his head back and forth, saying, I can't believe you're coming into the house of the Lord looking that way. That's what's going on in Corinth, only it's not with dress, it's with meat. It's with, can we eat this or can we not eat that? When it came to eating meat that was offered to idols, that was the question. For us to answer that question, for us to fully understand Paul's answer to that question, we have to have a glimpse or a look into their culture and what exactly did it mean when he talks about meat that was offered to idols. So before we go into chapter 8, I know our introduction is a little lengthy, but let me give you a little bit of cultural background on Corinth and what was going on there. Corinth was in Greece. Like the Romans, the Greeks were polytheistic. It means they worshipped many gods. They had all kinds of gods. Gods for everything. We as Christians were what you would call monotheistic. Mono means one. Poly means many. We worship one God. There's only one God that we worship. But in their idolatry and their worship of many false gods, they also believed in evil spirits. They believed that there were evil spirits around. They believed these evil spirits were constantly trying to invade human beings. And the easiest way for the evil spirits to enter a human being was to attach themselves to the food that they ate before they ate it. Now you might be looking and go, well, that's crazy. I know, but this is what they believed. This is, this is why they were doing what they were doing. The human would then eat the food, and the spirit was now dwelling inside of them. That's what they believed. To prevent this from happening, they began sacrificing food and taking meat and placing it on the altar of the pagan gods. And they were sacrificing it to the pagan god. They believed that this would remove the evil spirits from the food. Because it was sacrificed to a god, the evil spirit would be forced to flee. And sacrificing to the pagan god, it served two purposes for him. It gained the favor of the god, made the god like him, and it removed any evil spirit that attached itself to the food. Now we look at that and go, well, that's just ridiculous. But this is what they believe. This is what's influencing their question here. In their pagan temple, the sacrifice would be divided into three parts. One part of the animal that was sacrificed would be put on the altar and burned to the pagan god. The other part of the, another part of the animal that was sacrificed would go to the priest who was making the offering as sort of a payment for him. And whatever was left would go back to the person who was doing or making the sacrifice. Sometimes the person would take that meat home and share it with his friends and his family and his neighbors. Other times he would take that meat and sell it in the marketplace. And it would be sold at bargain basement prices much less expensive than all of the other meat in the area. Since it had already been butchered, it had already been cut up, it was only part of an animal, the value was diminished and it was sold off at a very deep discount. With that in mind, some believers in Corinth were going to the marketplace and they were looking at the cost of regular meat and they were looking at the cost of this other meat and they were buying the less expensive meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Perhaps it was all they could afford. 
They didn't care that it had been offered to idols. They were more concerned about the price. Well, there was another group of believers there in Corinth. They were stumbled by this. They looked upon this and they, were, they, they would contend that the meat offered to idols should not be eaten because it reminded them of their former pagan worship and their pagan life. And they might even point to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 where it says that meat offered to idols shouldn't be eaten. But we're stuck with the question as they ask Paul, is it okay to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols? You see, as we look at chapter 8, Paul's going to answer that question this morning. But he's not only going to give them an answer, he's going to explain to them why he's answering what he does. So what you're going to get is the explanation, and then we'll clarify Paul's answer at the end. If you'll pick up with me in chapter 8, verse 1. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. When you read those first couple of verses, you can kind of scratch your head and go, well, I'm not quite sure what it's saying. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Well, let me read it to you again in a newer translation. It's the New Living Translation. It'll make it very clear for you. It says this, Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. That makes it a little bit clearer. When it comes to settling the difference between us on some of these things where Christian liberty can be expressed, when it comes to solving those problems, Paul's saying it comes down to two very important things. Knowledge and love. Knowledge and love. I have to apply both of those to the issue. Paul says, we've all got knowledge. You've all got stuff in your brain. You've all got things in your brain. It's not all the same. You might have different things than I do, or I might have different things than you do. You might have different beliefs. There might be, but there's knowledge there. There, There's information up there. And while knowledge makes us feel important, it's the love that strengthens the church, is what he said. The love that strengthens the church. We all have this knowledge If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. In other words, what Paul's saying is if you think you know it all, you don't. You don't. Nobody can know it all about any one thing. There'll always be somebody that knows more about something. We all have knowledge. It's in our head. But notice the difference that Paul made between knowledge and love. He said knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And that word for edify, if you're taking notes in your Bible, circle it and write builds up next to it. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Knowledge makes someone swell, love builds like you're building a building. One commentator said this, he said, Both knowledge and love have an effect on our lives and that each of them makes something grow. The difference between puffs up and edifies is striking. It's the difference between a bubble and a building. Some Christians grow and others just swell. There's a difference there. Love and knowledge must go together. It's been well said that truth without love is brutality. Tell them the truth. If there's no love, it's pretty brutal, isn't it? Truth without love is brutality. But love without truth, it's hypocrisy. It's it's hypocrisy. Knowledge is the power and it must be used in love. But love must always be controlled by knowledge. 
That's what Paul's saying here. Knowledge and love are the two important factors, for knowledge must be balanced by the love if we're to use our Christian freedom in the right way. Let me see if I can help it make sense for you. A lot of times, as Christians, we come to something that we're going to stand on and say, this is what we believe. And we go to the scriptures and we find a a reason for believing what we're going to believe. And that's our knowledge. We have the information. But then Paul says this, will you add love to your knowledge and see if it changes what you believe? Because what you believe might be hurting somebody else. And you see, the love part of that knowledge will smooth it all out. Because you have a love for God, you're going to have a love for people, and it might just help you come to the right conclusions. It's going to the Apostle Paul here. Look at verse 4. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Paul's going to offer us two thoughts and a warning here. At the end of verse 4, he says, Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god, and that there is only one God. There may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth. And some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. So Paul's first thought here, his first thing that he puts out to us is idols aren't really gods. They're not really gods. They're just, they're just idols. They're just things. They're, they're, they don't really exist because there is only one true God. Oh, people can call their idol a god. They can worship their idol. They can sacrifice to their idol. They can bow down to their idol. They can burn incense to their idol. But in ra- reality, the idol, it's just a figment of their imagination. You can have a statue of Buddha in your house, but what is it really? Is it Buddha? No, it's a statue of Buddha. It's, it's nothing. It's, 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 a, it's whoever made it. It's, it's, a, it's, their, it's their thing. It's a piece of wood, a piece of cement, a piece of marble. Whatever it's made out of, that's all it is. It doesn't really exist. The false god only exists in their mind, although they believe it to be real. So Paul's making the point, although they believe that these gods are gods, they don't even exist. How sad is it that someone could worship and give and spend time with a thing that doesn't even exist. Not even real. It's all made up in their mind. It's fictitious. You might be thinking, doesn't the Bible seem to recognize other gods? Doesn't the Bible even identify other gods? Didn't the Israelites worship false gods? Sure, the Bible uses the word God with a little g to recognize what so many people are worshiping. But it's not validating these things as gods. In reality, these false gods only exist in the minds of their worshipers. Do you really believe there's a Zeus out there? Do you really believe there's an Aphrodite out there or some other god or goddess? They're they're made up, yet there's statues erected to them. But they don't exist. It's not there. That's what Paul's saying. Paul wants to be very, very, very clear. Even when it comes to Satan, Satan in the scripture is called the god of this age. Does it mean the Bible's recognizing Satan as a god? No, of course not. He's just, what it means is he's not a literal God. It only means that people are recognizing him as a God. People are worshiping. People are following. Just because a real person or a thing is recognized as a God doesn't mean it holds that level. That's what Paul's saying here. He wants to be clear. There's only one God. There's only one. There's only one. You can call anything else you want a God, but there's only one true God, the Father. And there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ. There's only one. 
After declaring that there's only one God, Paul recognizes not everybody knows this. You might be sitting here this morning going, yeah, that's right, there's only one. But you might, you, you're not, you might be in the minority. Not everybody understands that. He didn't separate the two when he said there's one God, the Father, and there is one Lord Jesus Christ. He's not making a difference. He, if you read it carefully, he says there's one God, the Father, there's one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things were created, through whom all things were created, and for whom we live, and through whom we live. He's putting them together. He's not pulling them apart there. But he realizes not everybody knows this. Not everybody has that. If you, if you agree with what Paul's saying here, you've got that knowledge in your head. You've got it. But he realizes not everybody has that. Look what he says in verse 7. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. It's true, we can't win God's approval by what we eat, we don't lose anything if we don't eat, and we don't gain anything if we do. So Paul's making the point that not everybody has this information. So you have one group of people who's looking on going, hey, we're eating meat because it's bought on sale. We know that what they're sacrificing it to means nothing. What difference does it make? But you have another group of people that says, no, we believe that those are false gods and they're really worshiping them, so we shouldn't be eating those, eating that meat. You can see where the division comes in. Other Christians believe there's something to the idol, and when they eat the meat that has been sacrificed to their idol, the conscience is defiled. They feel like they're doing something wrong. Who's right in this situation? Hang with us. Paul's going to give us an answer. What would we call this in today's world? We'd call it legalism, wouldn't we? We'd say one group of Christians, well, they just know they're free in Christ. They're, they're forgiven. They're saved. They can, it doesn't exist. They're, they're good. Just let them go ahead and enjoy the meat. Why, why pay twice as much for a good steak? The other, the other Christians we'd call the legalists. They're the ones following the rules. We shouldn't do that. We're, don't, no, no, don't do that. Don't eat that. Don't touch that. You can't do that. Don't do that because I'm, I'm, we shouldn't do that. You see, one's a legalist and one's free in their Christian liberty. Who's right? They both have knowledge, but which one is correct? Oh, if we were to sit them down and say, all right, debate your issues, here's what it would look like. The legalistic Christian, they'd take you right over to Acts chapter 15. They'd turn and say, here's the Jerusalem council, and look what they came to in verse 28. It says, for seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. This is to the Gentiles that are becoming believers. They would say in verse 29, you must abstain from eating food offered to idols. But they never told them why. They just told them to stop doing it. And to the legalist, we don't need to know why. We just want to follow the rules. That's the rule, and I'm going to follow it. To the person who's free, they go, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Why do I got to pay twice as much for a steak offered to something that doesn't exist? Because it's a figment of somebody else's imagination. I'm just trying to be a good steward of what God gave me. You want to go pay twice as much for your meat, you go ahead. I'm going to buy my meat here. See the predicament? See where they're caught up and see the, see the difference? You see, the Christian who's free would follow Paul's argument here. I want to be a good steward. Why pay twice as much? It doesn't exist. This is exactly how Christians argue about these things today. Maybe it's not about eating meat offered to idols. One person's free. One person's being legalistic. They argue about what we can, how we should dress in a certain church, what the pastor should wear. Should we wear a one-piece or a two-piece bathing suit? Can we send our kids on trick-or-treating? Should we have a Christmas tree or not? Those are the same kind of arguments that we, we have today. 
Some people have the false notion that the stronger Christians, the more mature Christians, are the ones living by the rules and the strict regulations. And they're the ones that get offended when someone exercises their freedom. Listen, the, the legalistic Christian is not the stronger one. It's the weaker one. Oftentimes they have something going on in their life they're trying to cover up by following rules over here. You see, the more mature Christian can look at and go, it's not that big of a deal. Not in a a way of um, I'm using grace that I shouldn't, but in a way where I I understand the truth. I'm forgiven. I'm safe. I have the liberty to do the things. I'm not talking about sin and compromise. I'm talking about these areas that are kind of gray areas in Christianity. Let's not fight over it, the, the one that would be free. This is what makes it difficult for stronger saints to minister to their weaker brothers sometimes. Because the weaker Christian thinks they're doing it all right, and they think the stronger Christian, the more mature one's doing it all wrong, and the more mature Christian's looking and going, no, no, you don't understand. You're not there yet. You'll see when you get to where I am, it's not that big of a deal. Let it go. So what? You, so what? They, sent, they got saved and sent their kids trick-or-treating. Who cares? Let, let the Lord minister to them. Let the Holy Spirit minister to them. You follow what God calls you to do, not, not what the church rules put out. You follow what the Scripture says. Show some grace. Show some mercy. But the, the, more, the, the less mature Christian, no, no, we've got to do it this way, and everybody's got to do it my way, and this is the way it's going to be, and if you don't do it my way, then you're wrong. They don't want to hear a thing that the person that's going, wait a minute, I'm a little free to do this. I want you to highlight what, or I want, I want to highlight what Paul says in verse 8. It's true. We can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat. We don't gain anything if we do. You're not going to win God's approval by not letting your kids go trick-or-treating, or you're not going to win his approval by doing it. That's not where our salvation lies. That's not where our hope lies. That's not where you're going to find it. You don't become more spiritual by what you eat or what you don't eat. You're not more spiritual if you drink coffee or you don't drink coffee. You're not more spiritual because you dress up for church or because you're casual for church. You're not more spiritual because you wear a one-piece bathing suit over a two-piece bathing suit. Modest? Yes. Spiritual? No. It's not like all of a sudden because I'm doing a certain thing a certain way that God looks at me and goes, I like you better. You're better because you're doing exactly the way that I would do it myself. And we go, oh yeah, thank you God, that's me. I'm I'm, I'm your superstar. I would never let my kids go trick-or-treating. My kids don't go trick-or-treating, but my spirituality doesn't lie there. We've never celebrated Halloween in my house. If you do, great. That's your your choice. That's my conviction. You you follow your convictions. That's what I'm saying. That's That's the point that he's getting to. This is the very point where most Christians stumble in issues relevant to Christian liberty. It's the very point they can't get through their heads. They assume one stance over another is evidence of greater or lesser spirituality. Because I've chosen this, that makes me more spiritual. Or because you've chosen that, that makes you less spiritual. And if you notice the standard that you use is always yourself, the standard we use for spirituality is the scriptures. It's the word of God, not what I've chosen in an area that doesn't really matter, not that doesn't really make a a difference. But he goes on and he says, I want to give, Paul says, I want to give you a warning. I got to warn you guys about something. He goes, because we have these two different camps here. We got a legalistic and we got someone who's free and can do whatever they want. He goes, I want to warn you something. Look at verse 9. You must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. You must be careful if you're that more mature Christian, if you're the one that says, I've got freedom, I can do things, I'm free in Christ, which is wonderful. He says, you must be careful that your freedom 
that in your freedom you're not causing your brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. Wait a minute, how could my what I do cause someone else to stumble? Look at verse 10. If others see you with your quote-unquote superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? They see you do it, aren't they going to want to do it? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. A weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. When a Corinthian Christian with his superior knowledge went to a party and ate a steak that was offered to a false god, he could say, I'm exercising my Christian liberty. It's not a big deal. But yet the problem is there's somebody sitting across the aisle from him or across the party from him. He goes, well, I guess if they can do it, I can do it. And the whole time they're eating that steak, they're cutting it up. They're going, oh, I feel terrible about this. This was offered to an idol. I, I don't know why I'm doing this. Oh, this, 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 is, this is horrible. This, this is terrible. This, this, is, this is crazy. You know, well, Rob, that's, that's me. Does it happen in our culture? Yes. I can tell you where I see it happening all the time. I'll give you a perfect example. Sometimes ladies wear skirts. You ever seen a lady, and it's usually a younger lady, wears a skirt that's a little bit too short? You will immediately be able to pick her out. You know why? Not because her shorts too short, because she'll be grabbing her skirt trying to pull it down. They're always pulling it down. Why? Because they know it's too short. There's something inside of them saying this is too short, and they're trying to stretch it down and pull it down, put it down, pull it down. I've watched it. I see it all the time. If you look at, if you, if you ever see a woman or a lady with a shirt, skirt that's too short, you watch her. She's going to start pulling it down, and she doesn't move it at all. But somehow she pulls it down and feels like she's doing something better. Take it home, sew a foot onto it, then you'll be better. You won't have to worry about it. But they start pulling it down. It's the, same, it's the same type of thing. Notice Paul also says the believer who won't eat the meat is called the weaker Christian. The weaker one. Wait a minute. Wouldn't he be the stronger brother? Isn't he the one taking the stand for what's right? Isn't he the one saying, no, we're not going to do it? No, Paul's not speaking about self-control. He's speaking about knowledge. He's saying the weaker one lacks the understanding. You see, the one with the true knowledge says, I could do this, but I'm not going to. I have the freedom to do that, but I'm not going to. I have the freedom to enjoy that, but I'm not going to. Please remember, and we'll get there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul will say this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify, means build me up. Let no one seek his own but each one the other's well-being. This is why that sometimes those who are the most legalistic seem to be the ones that are the most mature, but they're really the ones that are the most immature. Oftentimes, they'll have one large area of compromise in their life they're trying to make up for in other areas of their life. And they always want to direct you to what you're doing wrong. They always want to point out your mistakes and tell you how you're not following the Lord in the right way. And if you would be like them, then you could be more spiritual. Or the more seasoned Christian, the more seasoned saint would look at you and say, just follow the Lord. If you'll seek the Lord, he'll make any changes in your life that need to be made. And he will make them in a perfect order. I don't, you could look at my life and say, you need to fix this. I could look at your life and say, you need to fix this. But I've learned that the Holy Spirit is a much better convictor than I am. The word of God will do a better job of convicting you and changing you than I will. Because when you leave here today, you're going to forget everything I said, but you're taking his word with you. And hopefully you'll be able to look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and realize it's not about meat sacrificed to idols. It's about Christian liberty in people. 
It's about how far am I willing to go? Am I sacrificing the heart of somebody else because I have the knowledge to stand in Christian liberty? Paul says your superior knowledge or Christian liberty is actually destroying a weaker brother because you are causing him or her to violate their conscience. They're looking at you and you're fine with it. They're doing it in violation of their very own conscience. Why should we care? Should I care what your conscience is doing? Should I care what you think? Should it it matter to me? Look at verse 12. And when you... Verse 12, and when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. When you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. Even if you're right in your knowledge, even if you're right in your Christian liberty, even if your knowledge is superior when it causes somebody else to sin, When it causes somebody, even if it's not really a sin in your mind, you say, I've got it covered. It's not a sin. But if they believe it's wrong, Paul says you've sinned against Christ because you've led somebody where they don't want to go. You've led somebody in a position that their conscience is telling them not to. Yeah, but their information is bad. It doesn't matter. Their conscience is the Holy Spirit convicting them of something. That's how that's working. As a result, Paul says this in verse 13, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin i will never eat meat again as long as i live for i don't want to cause another believer to stumble this is where knowledge meets love see oftentimes we want to make a stance on our knowledge and paul would say add love to your stance and see if you get the same answer The human tendency is to argue our Christian liberty or to stand strong on our liberty that God, but the godly response that we should give, we should give up that liberty because it's affecting someone else. It's hurting someone else. Even if they're a weaker believer and they may not have the knowledge or the maturity that we have. Okay, Paul, so what are you really saying? Is it okay for us to eat meat offered to idols or not? Paul would say, nope, not if it's causing your brother to stumble. And obviously eating meat because of the division in the church is causing people to stumble. So Paul's telling him, no, he's not doing away with the decree that came about in Acts chapter 15 from the Jerusalem council. He's just explaining to them why they shouldn't be doing it. He's not giving, he's saying, he's saying, listen, it's causing people to stumble. And Paul says, I'm willing to give up all meat. I'll never eat a steak again if that hurts my, my brother. It doesn't really matter to me. I'd rather give it up than cause somebody to stumble. Love would not lead you to do something that would cause fellow Christians to stumble in their walk with the Lord just so you can flex your Christian liberty and eat a low-cost steak. Or just so you can wear what you feel that you're entitled to wear. Or just so you can do what you feel that in your Christian liberty that you're entitled to do. When your knowledge of the situation is paired with, with your love for the Lord... When you take your knowledge, you pair it with the Lord's love, people will gladly give up whatever it is they're trying to stand for because they realize it's having a negative effect on somebody else. So, the practical examples. Is it okay for kids to go trick-or-treating? Not if it's causing somebody to stumble. Is it okay for a woman to wear a two-piece bathing suit? Not if it's causing a brother or sister to stumble. Is it okay for a Christian to have an occasional drink? 
Not if it's causing a brother or sister to stumble. It'd be better if you just said, I'm never going to do it again. Wait a minute. If we follow this line of thinking, Rob, we're going to end up giving up everything. How do we know what to give up and what not to give up? How do we know where we... What, what, you, need to, you need to clarify this. Tell us what, what, what exactly do we need to give up. No, no, I can't do that. I can't tell you what the Lord's trying to tell you. I can't... You, you might even think, well, how, much, how, how am I responsible for somebody else's problem? You have to follow the Lord. That's the relationship between you and Him. I can't tell you that the Bible says Christians shouldn't drink alcohol ever because it doesn't. But I can tell you that in my life, the Lord's convicted me. I don't drink. I haven't for a long time and I will never do it again. But these are the situations that you have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you have for me? What's my conviction? Where do you want me to stand on this? My kids don't go trick-or-treating. We don't celebrate Halloween in our house. We couldn't find anything good in it, so we decided not to celebrate it. We don't do Santa Claus in our house, but we do have a Christmas tree. You have to figure out what works for you because that's your relationship with the Lord. You, you, can't, you can't do it because the church does it or because a group of people say, this is what we want to do. But you have to consider through love, how is it affecting other people? How would you feel if you walked in here and there was Santa Claus all over the wall at Christmas time? We'll put his sleigh up there and we'll have the reindeer on here. We'll have all this stuff, all the Santa stuff. Some people go, oh, that's cool, so pretty for Christmas. Others go, no. It's, what'd you say? You took Christ out of Christmas. I go, but he doesn't even exist. He's fake. You see, because I know that would cause somebody to stumble, I would never do that. And because he's fake, he doesn't really exist. Well, we're celebrating St. Nicholas. Fine, if that works for you at home. Go do it. But we have to be the type of people that give consideration to what are my decisions? How are they affecting other people? How are they affecting? The key question to ask yourself is this. When it comes to your own liberty, and you're making a choice to do any one of those things, this is where I'm standing. Ask yourself this question. Have I come to that decision with or without love? Love for God and love for people. If you're taking a stand in one of these gray areas of Christianity, ask yourself, is love included in my decision? Or is my decision based solely on the knowledge that I can support or the knowledge I have in my head? If you've based it on knowledge and you've based it on love, go right ahead. But I think sometimes we find ourselves basing our decisions only on knowledge and there is no love. You see, love is what will cause us to give up our life for somebody else. And if Jesus Christ in love was willing to give up his life for me and for you, if he was to call you to give up something that you might enjoy because it was hurting somebody else, would you not do it? If you had an alcoholic in your family, are you going to serve alcohol at the dinner table? You go, too bad, suck it up, it's not my problem. No, you're going to say, I don't want to affect you that way. As the church, we need to be the same way. But when it comes to those individual things, where does it work? Where does it fit? That's between you and the Lord. I can't, I can't lay down those standards for you. We need to seek him. Well, should I send my kids for trick-or-treating? You pray about it. You see where the Lord leads you. Well, can I put up a Santa Claus in my house? You pray about it. You see where the Lord leads you. As a mature believer, I'm not going to condemn you if you do. That's your business. You see, it's the immature believer that's going to go, you better take that Santa Claus down. You better get rid of that Easter bunny. I can look at it and go, it doesn't, it's not real. It, it, it is kind of watering down Christmas, but I'm going to let the Lord convict you of that. Because I've walked long enough as a Christian, and I've watched the Lord convict, and man, he does a good job. And the things he changes are so much better than the things we would point out about each other. If we'll just walk and let the Holy Spirit convict me, I pray that's your heart. Lord, would you convict me of those things I'm doing wrong? Would you show me where I need to change? 
Would you burn in my heart that I can't even continue in sin if it's going on? Would you make me so miserable if I'm doing something against your will that I just, I, I can't even walk that way anymore? That should be our heart as a believer. And you know what? He will. But he won't be mean about it. He has that lovely, gentle spirit that says, hey, stop doing that. Hey, why don't you make Halloween about me this year? Why don't you make Christmas more about me? Why don't you change a little bit? And when he makes those changes, they're forever. They're permanent. They're not just an emotional trip to a message that you heard. They last forever. And then he builds on them one by one by one. And he's making us more and more like him. And he's not done. He promises to finish the good work that he started. What good news is that? May that be our heart. Lord, are we expressing our Christian liberty in ways that are affecting other people? If so, would you help us apply love to the situation so we could see where we truly stand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, when we open up this chapter, it seems to make no sense to us about animals sacrificed to idols. But the, but the principles here are clear. As the Apostle Paul told them, no, they shouldn't eat animals that are sacrificed to idols. And he explained to them why. Because it's affecting others negatively. Lord, if we're doing anything in our life, in our liberty, while it might be reconciled in our mind as being perfectly fine, if it's not fine with you, would you convict us of it? Because it should be our desire to please you, Lord. Our love for you should be greater than our love for anything. We should be willing to give up all things for you. And Lord, if we're expressing our Christian liberty and it's just fine, would you confirm that in our hearts? And Lord, may we all grow to mature in you. We want to grow closer to you. We want to be mature believers, seasoned Christians, tested by fire, proven faithful. It's our heart, Lord. And we know that comes not in the easy situations of life, but the difficult ones. So Lord, would you walk with us? Would you make us more like you? In Jesus' name, amen.